0: They carry AAPI owned and founded brands like Live Tinted, Peach and Lily, Glamnetic, Tree Hut, and more. Shop AAPI owned and founded brands at Ulta Beauty Stores and Ulta.com.
1: It's Wednesday, September 15th. I'm Gideon Resnick.
0: And I'm Josie Deppie Rice. And this is What a Day, the podcast that takes full advantage of every new feature on the iPhone 13.
1: Yeah, it's basically like VR if you have iPhone 13.
0: Yeah, it's a very immersive experience. Not everybody can handle it.
1: Yeah, we don't have Dramamine for you, so sorry in advance.
0: (laughs) On today's show, the poverty rate falls to its lowest level ever, according to the Census Bureau. Plus, some scientists say they're going to Jurassic Park up a woolly mammoth.
1: That could only turn out well. But first, there are innumerable local and state elections and primaries that are happening across the country, seemingly all the time, that you might not always hear about. Just yesterday, for instance, there was the California gubernatorial recall. You did hear about that from us. But also, there was a preliminary election for the next mayor of Boston, where the first non white person in the city's history is poised to be elected. So today, we're going to kick off a new series of conversations that highlight candidates running in these kinds of races across the country, what they stand for and what the issues are that are animating their cities and states.
0: Today, a very exciting one, India Walton. She shocked the Democratic establishment in late June when the former nurse in Buffalo, New York, defeated incumbent mayor Byron Brown in the primary. Should she win this November, which she is highly favored to, Walton would be the first woman to ever lead the second largest city in New York state. And the first self-identified socialist to lead a major American city in over 50 years. Yeah,
1: it really is. And for all of those reasons we mentioned, Walton has faced a lot of opposition in the weeks since her primary win. In just recent days, two judges ordered the Erie County Board of Elections to put Byron Brown on the ballot as an independent. That was even after he had missed the state deadline for filing. Walton and others have filed appeals against the ruling and her campaign told me they expect a resolution in the days to come. Now, before all that happened, I spoke with Walton earlier this summer about her vision for the city, her personal story, the pandemic's effects on wealth inequality and more. And I first asked her how that primary victory felt.
2: I knew that we were doing something that was historic and monumental for Buffalo, but I had no idea that it would take on sort of this life of its own. People recognize me, even places outside of Buffalo, there's sort of this... Fandom that's happening. So it's been um, both great and a little bit shocking.
1: I'm sure that this has come up quite a bit, but what do you think when you hear people saying that you could likely be the first woman to lead Buffalo, first socialist mayor of a major city in more than 50 years? Are those kind of played out at this point when people are asking you?
2: It doesn't really matter to me. <laughs> I mm-hmm. think what matters most is that I'm going to be able to create change for so many people and knowing that my platform is centered around. Lifting people out of poverty and creating pathways to a quality life uh, is is what's most important to me. Those other things are kind of cool. Um, those are things that my eventual grandchildren might care about. But for me, it's about doing the work.
1: And to that point, um, when you were actually campaigning and when you're continuing to campaign, what elements of your personal identity do you think were most front and center in your conversations with voters in Buffalo?
2: I think that my life is sort of a perfect storm of relatability. I'm from Buffalo. I grew up here, grew up poor. You know, I dropped out of high school. I'm a teenage mom. Like this story is remarkable to some people, but to a lot of people in Buffalo, it's just an average story. And I think it also is inspirational that I have overcome so many challenges. And I think that being from this community and having having experienced all of the challenges and then saying we're going to work together to do something about it, Is a believable story, right? It's not a politician trying to sell you something. It is a community member planning alongside other community people.
1: And you're talking about doing something about it. Um, If you win the general election, what are some of the first priorities that you want to do straight off the jump for the city?
2: I'm excited about a true participatory budgeting process where... You know, my administration is not unilaterally deciding for people how resources are allocated, but going mm-hmm. to community and saying, you know, how do we spend um, spend our money? And um, I think the, the last thing I'll say is I'm looking forward to trialing a uh, basic minimum income program for uh, individuals in Buffalo in the Alice population, the um, asset limited income constrained employed category, those people who are right there at that benefits cliff um, who make just enough money to not qualify for benefits, but not quite enough um, to move up the socioeconomic staff uh, ladder.
1: That's super interesting. Can you um, unpack that a little bit more for our audience? Like what would the actual um, income look like? How would it work?
2: The population that I would be looking to target are people who, like I said, don't have quite enough income um, to make it. So you give them a few extra hundred bucks a month, no strings Mm -hmm. attached. They voluntarily report what they do with those allocations. And the info out of Stockton said that uh, people typically bought beds for the children, healthier Mm -hmm. food, um, paid off debt, put their children in extracurricular activities. They did very um, positive and productive things with the funding. So I'm interested to to pilot a program like that here in Buffalo um, and also collect that data to see what happens when you do help people get over that last little hurdle.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And also on the the funding point, um, I think this was in the New York Times that you were talking about the actual phrase defund the police is not the exact word you most often use when talking about what you want to do with the city's police department. Why is that? And do you think there's a lesson there in terms of how leaders communicate their intents with constituents?
2: Absolutely do. Um, there's a lot of jargony language um, totally. that average people really don't understand. So I try and break things down so that they make sense. Because what does defund the police even mean, right? It sounds scary if you're not a part of our social justice community. And I like to explain things fully, right? We can cut excess spending from all of our budgets. We can allocate those resources to more useful places like youth programming, job skills training, fully funding mental health services and things
1: like that. I think a lot of people have been sort of thinking about this in the last year or so, but how, if at all, has the pandemic and this sort of mass uprising that we saw against racism and police brutality changed American politics? Is this like something that you think is a temporary type situation? Is this like a total rethinking of where we are and where we're going?
2: I think the pandemic was a magnifying glass for so many inequities and injustices that we've been watching for the last century. Right. Mm-hmm. Um We're telling them to wash their hands to stay healthy and they don't have running water in their homes. Um, Mm -hmm. Our children are learning virtually and we have this huge digital divide. You don't even have access to high-speed internet still in 2021, right? It's my prayer that things never go back to normal. And I think that we are heading down the pathway to things like universal healthcare, to free higher education, to broadband as a public utility. I think these are things that we've discovered not only make sense, but are also possible um, when we have the political will.
1: I also did get some audience cues um, from the good people of Buffalo. So I want to ask a couple of these. This was from uh, user Callie Grace. She said, so many Buffalo communities need help and change, but I have known them to be places that prefer to stick with the devils they know. How does Ms. Walton think that she can get everyone on board um, with some of these such incredible changes?
2: The, The first challenge is that Historically, the primary winner is presumed to be next mayor. So I will be working through a transition process right now. Instead, I'm still running. Um, Mm -hmm. The second challenge is inheriting a not so friendly city hall, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There is fear being instilled in people who work for the city. And I don't know what the environment's going to be like when we do take office. And a lot of neighborhoods in Buffalo, they, they like the way things have always been. But I think that a lot of people like the way things have always been because they don't believe that things can be different. (laughs) And once we start to make some changes and people do see the tangible results and the increased quality of life, that folks will begin
1: to come along. And then this one was from um, Adam Kessler. He said, with Mayor Brown so entrenched in the city's politics for so long and with you lacking what some might consider Traditional political experience, what would the plan be to both unite the party around a new kind of politician while also putting in people to make sure that the agenda would be successfully implemented?
2: Yeah, you know, what people don't know about me is that I lack formal political experience, but I have relationships with a lot of elected officials. I'm an organizer, an advocate, right? I was a nonprofit director of the Fruitville Community Land Trust, where I had to work directly with city officials. And, and staff to, to get land, to build housing. You know, I've got worked on statewide campaigns on bail reform and legalizing adult use cannabis. So I'm familiar with our state level legislators. Um, so there's already a foundational relationship that I have with all of these folks. And I believe that, uh, that many of our electeds want to genuinely do what's right for people. And I do too. So I think that we're gonna work really, really well together. But I, I think it's mostly centered around relationship building.
1: And then one more, this is from Ben uh, Verdi. His question is with the developers coming into the city, he said, Byron Brown just let developers in, but that money largely doesn't stick around in Buffalo. So do you have a plan to have those developers come into the city and make sure that that money generated actually stays in Buffalo?
2: I do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's the thing about um, doing community work for so long and working on policies and, and thinking about things like community benefits agreements, um, ensuring that we have organized labor on on jobs in the workforce and making sure that we do prioritize local businesses and do development that is based and rooted in hyper-localism and communities and letting neighborhoods make decisions on behalf of themselves. Um, it's it's going to be great. And the potential for citywide land trust and community control, I am just super excited to be able to implement some of those ideas.
1: Yeah, that was my conversation with India Walton, who is poised to be the next mayor of Buffalo, New York.
0: She's really awesome. Uh, Great conversation. The mayoral election in Buffalo is November 2nd, which we will continue to follow. And there will be more conversations with candidates to come, including questions we want to hear from you if these folks are going to show up on your ballot. And that's the latest for now.
1: It's Wednesday, Wad Squad, and today we're doing a new segment where we take what we've learned from a news story and apply it to something else to satisfy our mercurial desires. It is called This But For That. This But For That. Uh, (laughs) Unbelievable. Is that my voice? The listeners will tell. Um, disturbing nonetheless, but I'm invigorated. One of the only animals brave enough to combine tusks and fur could be making a comeback. A startup called Colossal has raised $15 million in private funding to bring woolly mammoths back from extinction. The company is led by Harvard Medical School biologist George Church. He will no longer be a man of God after this, and it plans to modify the DNA of elephants to incorporate mammoth traits like dense hair and thick insulating fat. If they're able to accomplish that before God strikes them down with lightning, then they'll produce modified elephant-slash-mammoth embryos and eventually a whole population of the animals. Apart from being really cool and vaguely twisted, Dr. Church says there's also an environmental incentive for this research. Through a variety of innate behaviors, woolly mammoths could theoretically help turn tundras, which emit carbon dioxide, into grasslands, which trap CO2. Seems like one of the top 10 most inefficient ways to save the planet. But hey, I do not work at Harvard Medical School. Anyway, this story showed us that scientists are bringing things back from the dead. So Josie, what should they resurrect next?
0: Okay, so first I'd like to see them use this technology to bring back the CDs that used to come with cereal boxes that let you Mm. install AOL. And they always had like a character from Friends on it. Mm. Hopefully Chandler.
1: Mm -hmm. we always hope for chandler that is great good to limit internet access to people who have just eaten cereal uh you need to be energized full of sugar and focused what else
0: i'd also like scientists to use dna modification to bring back knowing more than like one other person's phone number
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes like i should Um,
0: know my husband's phone number you know and i don't think i do
1: you probably should. Yeah. And I, I mean, one, one way to do it would be taking phone number rich boomer DNA that has been festering for years, mm-hmm, not doing mm-hmm. that much, injecting it into, you know, soft smartphone dependent millennial brains like ours.
0: Yeah, that's always a good idea. Just mix the boomers and the millennials.
1: Mm-hmm. What else are you thinking?
0: OK, so if they're bringing back extinct animals, I think they should be teacup size so we can maybe have them as pets.
1: Mm-hmm. that was this but for that this but for that mm-hmm. uh demonic we'll be back after some ads
3: what a day is brought to you by books this mother's day give mom her flowers she absolutely deserves the best and that's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from books that's short for bouquets
1: let's wrap up with some headlines.
0: Headlines.
1: The Gulf Coast is getting drenched once again. Hurricane Nicholas made landfall near Houston, Texas early yesterday morning as a category one storm with wind gusts over 50 miles per hour. It's now been downgraded to a tropical depression as it slowly crawls eastwards across Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, and the Florida Panhandle. These are vulnerable areas, of course, that are still trying to recover from Hurricane Ida, which swept through the region just two weeks ago. Forecasters say Nicholas could bring as much as 20 inches of rain in some places, and flash flood watches are in effect for the more than 6 million people in its path. Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards declared a state of emergency on Sunday in advance of the storm's arrival, and President Joe Biden approved an emergency declaration for the state yesterday morning. As of Tuesday night, over 220,000 customers were without power in both Texas and Louisiana.
0: Gosh, just relentless for Louisiana. Just devastating. New reporting from New York Public Radio and Gothamist revealed that Rikers Island was seeing rising rates of self-harm and deaths in recent months, as the number of people incarcerated there grew drastically. In the past year, 10 people have died, five by suicide, and advocates have argued that short staffing has made the facility unable to provide detainees with even the most basic services, and COVID-19 is spreading rapidly. The situation is so bad that the chief medical officer last week resorted to whistleblowing, going public about the crisis at the facility. Local lawmakers in New York visited Rikers Island earlier this week to pressure authorities to take action on the dismal and inhumane conditions at the jail. Officials overwhelmingly described the situation there as horrific after going on a tour and speaking to incarcerated people firsthand. They are now calling on Mayor Bill de Blasio to release more inmates in order to decrease the number of detainees per staff member. In other news, the Department of Justice is launching a civil rights investigation into prisons in Georgia, which will focus on the mistreatment of incarcerated people and violence faced by queer and trans detainees. Mm.
1: The next time someone mentions the term federal debt to you, here's something you can say besides, I'm sorry, my Uber is here and I have to leave right now. The U.S. Census Bureau reported on Tuesday that poverty fell to 9.1 percent in the U.S. in 2020. That was once government relief efforts were accounted for. That is below the 11.8% recorded in 2019, and in fact, the lowest rate on record. Almost eight and a half million people were lifted out of poverty last year, according to the data. And then in totally, completely unrelated news, the $3.5 trillion Democratic Reconciliation Package is still taking shape, but it has the potential to take some COVID-era relief benefits like the child tax credit for one and make them permanent. Some members of Congress have objected to paying for the package with the federal government's money, which to me suggests they might be open to paying with their own money instead. I'm proposing we do a bling ring on their homes now and figure out the rest of the details later.
0: I love it. It's the American way. (laughs) Senate Democrats reached an agreement on a voting rights bill yesterday, which is aimed at combating voter suppression laws in Republican states across the country. Named the Freedom to Vote Act, the bill is a mansion proofed read very watered down, mm. version of the For the People Act, which got shot down in June. Senator Manchin is one of the bill's chief authors, and it drops some key elements of its predecessor, like restructuring the FEC and public funding for congressional elections. The new measure does set national standards for ballot access, but it also calls for the creation of a voter ID requirement, which would discourage voters of color and lower-income voters. Republicans in the Senate, unsurprisingly, did not express support for the measure in keeping with their belief that democracy works best when the smallest number of people are involved. (laughs) In order for the bill to have any chance to pass the Senate without Republican support, big changes to filibuster rules will be necessary, which will inevitably give Manchin another chance to remind everyone he didn't get elected to make friends. And our resentment only makes him stronger.
1: Mm -hmm. Honestly, at this point, name all of the bills after Manchin. If he votes against himself, uh, I'll I'll be surprised. And those are the headlines. One more thing before we go. America Dissected turns 100 episodes old this week. Congratulations. And to celebrate, you can join host Dr. Abdul El-Sayed for a discussion with this land host, Rebecca Nagel, on how Native Americans were able to go from being one of the hardest hit communities by COVID to now one of the most vaccinated. Subscribe to America Dissected on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That is all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review, resurrect a woolly beast, and tell your friends to listen.
0: And if you are into reading and not just the installation instructions on an AOL free trial CD <laughs> like I am, What A Day is also a nightly newsletter. So check it out and subscribe at cricketcom slash subscribe. I'm Josie Duffy-Rice.
1: I'm Gideon Resnick. And And happy happy first first birthday, birthday, Rami.
0: Aw. My daughter turns one today, and I'm very excited.
1: Yes, we, we are too.
0: And really, it's my birthday when you think about it.
1: What A Day is a production of Crooked Media. It's recorded and mixed by Charlotte Landis, Sonia Tun, and Jazzy Marine are our associate producers. Our head writer is John Milstein, and our executive producers are Leo Duran and me. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka.